Hello, I'm Regina Botras and this is Backstage where we talk with where we talk with the who's who on stage in dance, comedy and performing arts. Speaking with the leading theatre makers of our times and how they came to the stage and what drives them and inspires them. And my guest in this podcast is Elena Valentine. She's a multi-award winning playwright, librettist and screenwriter. Her works include The Sugar House, Ladies' Day, Parramatta Girls, Letters to Lindy, Barbara and the Camp Dogs, which was written with Ursula Jovich and being adapted to the screen. She's a dramaturg with Bangara and most recently worked on Wood Young, Not the Past as part of Sydney Festival. And I did an interview with Alana for that show for a BBC podcast. She's recently worked on Watershed, The Death of Dr. Duncan, writing the the libretto with Christos Sokas, directed by Neil Armfield for Adelaide Fringe. She has more than 20 published works, including two books of non-fiction, one being Bowerbird, The Art of Making Theatre Drawn from Life, which is what she does so well. She's written for radio, television and screen and is here to talk with me about Wayside Brides, which is on at Belvoir Theatre till the 29th of May as part of a rep season, a first, I think, for Belvoir. And that means two shows alternating and one being the Carol Churchill, a light shiny in Buckinghamshire and the same cast alternating with Wayside Brides. Hello, Alana Valentine. Hello, Regina. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Uh, I want to, well, let's jump into Wayside Brides. I love your creative process and, and the way that you do work with people's stories, real people's stories. So when did you first get the idea to make this work? So it was actually in about 2015. So it's nearly seven years ago now. Uh, I had the idea because I'd always known that my own mother, Janice Powell, had been married at Wayside. Oh. And uh, I was looking through an, uh, an album, a photo album, and I found this photo of my beautiful mother who has been dead for, oh, many years, over 20 years. And uh, I thought, wow, isn't that a kind of interesting place that's never been uh, dramatized or written mm. about. Um, it's interesting how many people know it as a place for working with the homeless and yeah. and working with street people. But actually, Wayside has had a much longer uh, theological radicalism mm. uh, that that the people really don't know about. Even the other night, we had a whole lot of Wayside Chapel people in, and they were kind of saying to me that they didn't know, in some ways, their own history. But but. To answer your question, I started in about 2015, uh, got some money out of the city of Sydney who, you know, are interested in people who are documenting uh, mm. Sydney history. And I, I st- started up a website called waysidebride.com and people could upload their photos and 500 words. And look, Regina, Ted Knopf, who set up the Wayside Chapel in 1964 uh, and worked there through to 86, he married, they say, about 30,000 people during wow. that time from I think it's 163 different countries. So the reason my mother got married there was because uh, she was a divorcee and so 
at that time, and people may find this shocking to SER audience, there were no such thing as celebrants. Today, um, about 80% of marriages are done by celebrants or even more. So, um, you know, it was kind of this amazing place where Ted said, if you're a Hindu who wants to marry uh, a Catholic or you're a Protestant who wants to marry a Catholic or you're a Baptist who wants to marry a Lutheran, Mm. I will marry you. Or if you're an atheist, I will marry you. And he really was one of the characters in the play describes him as ultra visionary. And it's been really amazing being able to honor that. So yeah, my process has been to source the stories, to talk to people, to read about uh, Ted Knoffs and his wife, Margaret, who was just as instrumental in setting up the Wayside Chapel and sort of, you know, do do what we playwrights do, which is sort of throw it into a brew. And uh, there's been workshops and readings. And of course, we've had a a plague in the middle of all of that so it was delayed from October last year but yeah it's been a fantastic process for me just getting to know the community and and it's a diaspora now I mean not Mm. all of those wayside brides live in King's Cross of course but they they just love wayside still and Regina the thing I want to tell you is that because they were so radical when they got married they've kind of retained that radicalism so I would go to their place or I would talk on the phone and they'd tell me about the wedding but it wouldn't be long before they were starting to tell me about you know politics and activism and the things they thought were wrong in the world and I thought wow this is really amazing they they got married all those years ago but they've retained this kind of idea of well yeah we're going to look 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 at the way institutions work and be a bit suspicious about them I agree Uh, the first thing I thought is oh is it just people that are homeless that have coming to get married there so how did people become aware and what are some of the stories I really don't ask that question of course (laughs) yes okay so look Ted Knopf's used to have a big profile because he was in my grandmother's parlance a shit stirrer Um, so he got a lot of uh, he got a lot of publicity he was often in the papers Uh, and as people will see in the play his own church charged him with heresy not once Mm. not not twice but three Mm. times that was because what heresy means is that he was unfaithful to what they were thinking was the doctrines of the church and that was because he would he would do um, naming ceremonies with children and he said mm. that he was baptising them into the family of humanity. Uh, he would do all these weddings with with divorcees and, like I say, Catholics and Protestants who um, people, uh, again today, have trouble realising how much those sectarian kind of differences were, were palpable in Australia. So, yeah, look, people found Ted because they needed to. They wanted to get married. They wanted yeah. to be married often by a minister. There mm. were no celebrants. And so they they found this little chapel up in King's Cross. It's quite well known and um, almost like I would use the word yeah. notorious for, for being a place where people got married, especially through the 60s, 70s, right up into the 80s, ever since Ted, he died young of a stroke. Mm. So, you know, there's been lots of other ministers there uh, right up to Graham long recently and now John Owen so yeah it it is a place that people find uh the stories are just like people should I mean I know you always feel like a playwright's telling you to go and see something but it's like I've got to say in the foyer there's a display of 50 of the of the stories that I got because I obviously Regina couldn't you know put them all in the play but there's one it's a a a man called Chandra Ponasami and he married he was a uh, 
Hindu and he married his um, Christian wife and they were big in fashion at the time. They worked for uh, what was Katie's and that whole sort of fashion line. And um, they were they were quite the socialites and they had a dyed pink poodle. So they had these, <laughs> she had a beautiful white sari on and he had this amazing Indian sort of white um, outfit. And they had those big, you know, you see on, on Bollywood movies, those big sort of lays of, of, of flowers and mm. beautiful different coloured flowers. And that was all over the car that took them away from the the chapel but they had this this dyed pink poodle that was also part of it and they were telling me that Kamal who people will know um, Kamal was very famous at that time sang at their wedding and the pink poodle jumped up on his cream suit and got pink all over (laughs) they they just look the stories were just fantastic there's a story of uh pink seems to have been a a, a through line the first story that's told in the play is a woman who they couldn't afford a hire car um so her brother's company there was a pink cement mixer and if anyone knows what Hughes Street is like there was this pink cement mixer came down Hughes Street picked up the bride and groom and took them to their reception so there's lots of (laughs) very funny stories there's just some really there's a heartbreaking story of a woman I interviewed Isabella who married a Vietnamese man one of the first she she says that she says in 1970 there are only 20 Vietnamese in Australia mm. and um it's kind of the the audience just audibly gasp you can hear them go oh what uh mm. she says you know banks didn't even have the sort of spaces for a three barrel name and she talks about how opposed her family were and she's it's just heartbreaking and also the vietnamese family were really opposed to the wedding as well so look there's there's just something for everyone in this in this play there's funny there's heartbreaking and there's heartwarming yeah so you had the idea from your mom's wedding and then did you do the website like the you know the page what was the process and then you got the ideas or how how did you then how many people gave you their stories if there are 50 in Belvoir as a, an idea and how many in this story there's lots of questions there yeah, <laughs> yeah which uh, so people once people started to know that I was making the play mm. Regina the that like people would come up to me and just say, like when we were ha- having rehearsal photographs, you know, the, the guy taking the photos would say, oh, my brother-in-law was married by Ted Knox. And then I'd wow. go somewhere else and say, uh, we had a Sydney festival showing and there'd be people pa- walk past on the street and, and say, hey, I was married by Ted Knox. It, ah. was, it was like people came out of the woodwork. And when I actually contacted Matt Knox, mm. um, who is Ted's grandson, he said to me, he'll go to the supermarket and use his credit card and if the checkout person looks at it and says Knops were you married were you are you related to Ted Knops and it was kind of like I mean I honestly think this is the greatest thing about my work Regina it's like it's like I call it living testimony Mm. it was the same thing as when I did Parramatta Girls that you mentioned in the introduction it's like there's this thing swimming under the memory of a city and it connects us all and what we focus on all the time is what separates us and how we're different and, and what, 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 what divides us. And, and then I think like a playwright comes along and goes, actually, we're all connected by this thing that we sort of don't necessarily talk about uh, and I'm going to elevate it to the stage. And people, 
just love it. I mean, there was there was even one of the reviewers said that they'd came down after the play and a wayside bride had found herself on this wall full of bride photos and kind of announced it to the foyer <laughs> and everyone in the foyer gave her a clap. <laughs> and the, the critic was saying how that influenced how she saw the thing. And I was like, at last, that's great. It's not just about, it's not just about the object on stage, the artwork on stage. It is about the entire process of getting the the memory of a city uh revived onto 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 a stage so Mm. yeah look at it's it's been huge the process has been huge and it's like sometimes with verbatim as you know as you said I've written a whole book about it sometimes the thing you are overwhelmed in a different way than with the blank page you're overwhelmed because you're spoilt for choice and to be honest one of the reasons why this worked was because um, my mother was married there and you'll see there's a character in the play that's allowed <laughs> and that's been very that's been very exposing and very uh useful dramatically mm-hmm. but uh yeah it, it also kind of says I've got skin in this I, I'm I'm not just some objective interviewer I'm right in there as well is that the first time you've put yourself inside a work the first time I've put a character called Alana in in the work in Ladies Day I had a playwright character but mm. she had a different name and mm. it, she was very different from me um, this is really the first time where I had to like have dramaturgical questions thrown at me about well, what does Alana want? It's like well, Alana <laughs> wants to write a good play, but yeah, no, there's there's there was there was other things. So uh, look, it, I really think it's very effective. I have to distance myself from the the character, um, and it, that's very easy to do because there's a a brilliant actress called Emily Goddard who mm. who, who helps me to do that. Yeah, it's an amazing cast. Can you name the cast? I can. Akia Ashraf, Maggie Blinko, Rashidi Edward, Marco Chiappi, Emily Goddard, who I've already mentioned, plays me, Sandy Greenwood uh, and Angeline Penrith, who are both First Nations performers and absolutely incredible. Sasha Haller plays Margaret Knopfs and she just, like, the stage is on fire when she's there. Mm. Rebecca Massey is as brilliantly comic as you'll ever see her and Brandon McClellan is playing Ted Knopfs. So all of those actors, that's like that's like 10 actors and I've got to tell you we've had a little bit of the dreaded virus in the cast. So we've also mm. got uh, some understudies, Arkosh Armand and Contessa Trafoni and Matilda Ridgeway have also been stepping in. So there you go. I just love these actors, so I've, I've remembered them all. And what a job for them to take this play, so many, you know, big cast, and then go and do something completely different the next night and alternate. And, yeah, what a phenomenal thing to do. And also, like you said, oh, well, well you mentioned Margaret um, Knox, but it's dedicated to her, I understand, it's dedicated to her, Regina, because she lived to the age of 95 and she was alive all through the process. And Matt, she she wasn't, um, I, I was going to try and speak to her, but it was just, she was too frail. And so Matt used to tell her stuff that I was putting in the play and check with her. So she knew all about the play and I'm confident that she would have she she would have loved it uh, and we had a line in the play at the end where Margaret Knopf used to walk the, the characters who get married not giving too much away um, down the aisle and and there was a line Margaret Knopf is still alive and and then she died in 
December 2021. So, like, and I just think she was absolute. She is one of the most visionary Australians I've ever worked on. And you know how many plays I've done and how many incredible Mm. people I've looked at. Mm. But, yeah, Margaret just was, I had to dedicate the play to her because she's just amazing. You said that, you know, spoilt for choice. And how do you know if a story has these legs and how do you make those choices, I suppose, too? Yeah. What Fascinatingly, how you make those choices is that it's actually about remembering and realising that you're not a historian. It's Mm. really shocking when I say that to people because they think that you're writing a play about history and I'm like, yes, and I've got to get the history absolutely right because that's my job. But at a deep level, I am not a historian. I am a dramatist and what I'm interested in is human nature under pressure and I'm interested in human nature where it's on the cusp of of knowing and not knowing. People misread verbatim as people standing on stage and telling their story and telling the sort of facts of their story. The thing you're always trying to do, and you will know this as an interviewer too, Regina, is you're trying to find a place where people uh, are thinking on the spot. They're in the moment. They're thinking things that they haven't even ever thought before. So I'll give you an example. In the play, there's a story of a woman who married a bigamist and it's extremely funny. It's played by Beck Massey. Her name's Ursula and she says, oh, the police called him a prolific bigamist. He married 12 women here and in Canada. (laughs) Prolific. And it's really funny. And she talks about how she found out by opening a piece of mail and there was a group certificate in it. And she talks about how she had to get out of that marriage or prove that she never well basically was never in that marriage and she's really bubbly and wonderful in the interview and she was kind of like oh imagine that funny thing that happened to me and then she describes how the uh, husband came back and um, he crawled through the window because she wouldn't let him in the door and he grabbed a knife out of the cutlery drawer she calls it the cutlery not the cutlery cutlery she's a working class woman (laughs) and she has this amazing moment Regina where she goes oh, I I didn't think he was going to, I mean, I wouldn't have thought he would. I'm sure he just got it out to scare me. It was, you know, I I, I'm, I'm, I really don't think, I mean, I've never thought it, but I, I absolutely, well, I I guess he was going to try and kill me. And she, she confronted that truth in the moment uh, of speaking to me. And if I can put it this way, that's theatre. That's theatre. Theatre is... I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, and I'm here's all my masks and all my covers and all of my um, the things that we put between me and the world. And in that moment, that mask came off, and it was like I nearly died. And it wasn't a funny thing; it was a terrible thing. And that's theatre. And theatre is when the character doesn't know whether they're lucky or not. The character doesn't know whether they've had a good life or not. They don't know what this story is. And they're right on the horns of that dilemma of of sitting across from you and telling that story. And again, you will know that interviewing people is one of the, the greatest privileges because 
who asks you, you know, to talk at length about yourself except <laughs> an interviewer? And it's a wonderful, wonderful, privileged thing. Mm. But yeah, the way the way I choose is is when I've managed to, for some reason, they've trusted me or I've asked the right question. Like Bill Cruz, who you know is a very savvy media performer, mm. and it's always really different interviewing someone who never gets interviewed or someone who 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 does a lot of interviews. And I, you know, let Bill tell me these funny stories and. And then I asked him about the church and his relationship to the church and how Ted had been persecuted by the church. And he he just started crying, Regina. And it was just like, you know, some of your listeners will know that he got into trouble because he put up a statue for the Korean comfort women, which is part of the war. And, mm. you know, the church were trying to tell him to take it down. And he just he just let it out because I think probably no one asks him about the church, you know. And so I guess... I guess it's a really complicated thing, but and I've written a whole book about it, as I say, yeah. Bowerbird. But <laughs> but yeah, it's it's about finding those those beautiful, vulnerable moments in people that 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 you want to put on stage and show people because it's like they open their heart uh, to me, and therefore they open their heart to an audience. Are you using? for example that are you taking word for word it's an interesting thing isn't it because some of it is verbatim like Mm. obviously that bit I mentioned about Ursula and certainly the speech from Bill Cruz is I wouldn't put words into his mouth because it's about honor but um I it is it is heavily mm, playwrightized I say massaged you know but it's it's really uh it, it it is absolutely a construct. It's not anything like pure verbatim. Mm. You will recognise the truth and the authenticity of some of the stories. But uh, I, I guess I rail against it because some, somehow I think that people think that if it's verbatim, then it's somehow easier for the playwright. Um, not necessarily, not everyone, but, uh, yeah, it actually makes it harder. It's like a, doing a jigsaw puzzle then. It's like putting in this bit and this bit and making them fit next to each other. So, uh, but, yeah, look, there is there is certainly, authentic voice in there that you'll hear and then how yeah like you say how do they work together how do they work as a whole what is the yeah the story that runs through but also when you come up with ideas how do you know that that is a story how did you know well Wayside Brides was a story or Parramatta Girls or the you know the what what where do you get your stories as well how do you dig I mean this has taken a long time to get to light for various reasons but also are there you know seeds of ideas sort of working around inside of you currently or how did how did those sort of bigger picture ideas become realized and or you decide whether they have something that needs to be brought to the stage yeah and look it's a it's a great question and I'm sure some of your guests can answer it and can't or you you don't always know. Mm. But what I do know is that you often live with these stories for a long time, like three to five years usually. Um, I can confess really openly that it's often about a lack in my life that I want to, like I often Mm. talk about the Parramatta Girls, like both my mother and my grandmother died at a very young age. So I just don't have in my life sort of, hard tough rough love kind of women and so when I did Parramatta Girls that their their way of relating to each other which is sort of part abuse a huge amount of love lots of laughter and some tough love truth was like I just absolutely was 
wanting to have that in my life. And in some ways, these wayside people are very much the same. They're, some of them have moved on to more middle-class lives, but if they've still retained uh, a sort of seed of that, of that working-class um, daring and ruthless honesty. And so often, if I can say to your listeners, it's often about a, a space in myself that I can't find or, or a question that I don't know. I mean, that question of why didn't I ask my mother about these things when she was alive? Mm. Why do I need to try and ask her about it now is something that you sometimes are conscious of, but it's also, it's like a sore that you pick at, you know, because you know that there's something there Mm. and the best plays are ones that can't answer. Like if, if I knew something, then I probably wouldn't bother spending five years of my life writing a play about it. You know, I, I am really driven by that personal thing that I just said, but also what we were talking about earlier in the interview, which is like, I, I just love uncovering these it's almost like the secret soul of Sydney, mm-hmm. you know, these stories of, of what's happened. And I've been really amazed, I've got to say, that it, it like um, my partner Vicky, I sent her down as a spy into the foyer because I'm too scared <laughs> to go down and see what people people think. And she came, I said, what do they think, what do they think? She said, oh, well, I was hanging near this group of like 25-year-olds and they are all going, you know, is this what, is that what happened? Is it, is this, could this be, you know, could this be real? And it's like, it's really exciting to me I thought the main audience for this play would be you know that vintage Ted yeah. Knopf's contemporaries but actually it's a lie that young people don't want to hear their history they actually do want to hear their history and um they want to see it on stage abroad alive so I have been you know I have been really excited by the kind of audience that this is attracting yeah just sounds like a, a yeah a beautiful piece of work uh, is the future, are we going to see Alana on stage again in the future? Is this signposting a change in your writing? Is there we going to be? <laughs> no? No, not necessarily. I mean, there are, one of the critics was really smart and said this is a feminist sort of tactic. You see this in a lot of feminist work. It's also a Brechtian technique where you actually break the fourth wall and in this play people will laugh when there's some very funny moments where Alana sort of tells these characters that they're in on a stage and like you never say never Regina but I'm like no I don't think I'll be putting Alana in too soon it's it's not about vanity it was about that it was it was dramaturgically Mm. necessary to have someone as our stupid guide in in a way and 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 who better to to put in that position than myself well Alana Valentine thank you so much for joining me thank you Regina anytime And that was playwright Alana Valentine with her work Wayside Brides, which is playing alternate evenings or shows at Belvoir at the moment until the end of the month. 